God, as we come before you, we do ask that you would speak to us and that you would enlighten us, God, that you would reveal to us, Lord, the depths of your word, the truths that are in it. God, that we would learn not just the principle, but we would apply these truths to our lives, that it may change us and that we may live differently, God. Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit to come and give us ears to hear, Lord, what the Spirit is saying. Give us a mind to understand those truths and a heart to receive and that we may be transformed. God, I pray as we get into your word today that none of us would just sit there. None of us would just uh, let the words come through one ear and out the other. But it was true. these words would truly impact us today, God. And so I plead with you, I ask you, and I pray that you bring us to you today, God, that you yourself would lead us into your word. And we give this time to you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, weddings are a great occasion, and uh, you have to make sure that you have a cake for the occasion. And if you have a big celebration while you need a big cake and i bring that up because according to the guinness world records the world's largest wedding cake was baked in february of 2004 by a mohegan son and lynn marcel plus a team of 57 chefs and uh, they call it pastry artisans it was made actually for the New England Bridal Showcase in Connecticut. Now, listen to this. The wedding cake had seven tiers and it measured at 17 feet tall. It weighed 15,032 pounds. I mean, that's a cake. The team of bakers here used 10,000 pounds of pound cake, uh, pound cake batter, and 4,810 pounds of vanilla and almond frosting. That's a lot of frosting there. And they say, uh, this was for a show, a wedding show, but they say if this was a real wedding, it would feed up to 59,000 people. That's a huge cake. I was also reading about the largest wedding ever. I think it was back in the 90s, I think, in India by some former minister. But they actually had like over 150,000 people at the wedding. That's a big celebration there. And that must have been a lot of cake for that. Well, there's going to be a big celebration coming in the future. And it's right before the return of Jesus Christ. All heaven is going to break out in this huge celebration, huge worship over God's coming triumph over evil and the end of the power of the Antichrist and Satan. And you know what? That celebration even includes a wedding, the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, Today, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 19, and I've titled our message, The Celebration of All Time. It's, it's going to be the biggest one. It's going to be the greatest one, the celebration of all time. And we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 19 from verse 1 through 10. I'm excited to get into this chapter because we're going to be getting into the return of Jesus Christ. But we're not going to get to that just yet. That'll be next week. But today is this super great, awesome celebration. And our outline, what we're going to see is this. Number one, the hallelujahs from heaven. Number two, the wedding in heaven. And number three, the declaration of heaven. So that's the three main things we're going to be seeing here in our passage from verse 1 through 10. So again, the title, the celebration of all time. And our first heading here, and the first thing we're going to see, is the hallelujahs from heaven. The hallelujahs from heaven. Now, if you're taking notes, we're going to be covering verses 1 through 6. 1 through 6 in this section. But first of all, let's take a look at the first two verses of chapter 19. Revelation 19, beginning here, verse 1. 
After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Verse 2, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged a great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. All right, we'll stop right there. Now we begin with, again, John the Apostle. He's writing this. He's writing the book of Revelation, and he's recording what he sees now. He begins here in verse 1, after this he heard. But after what? Well, after the seven bold judgments that we saw in chapter 16, after the explanation of world religions and the end and collapse of world religions, when really the Antichrist stands up and makes him the religion of the world, and after chapter 18, the whole financial economic collapse of Babylon. So after all this, John says, I heard. After this comes really, as I mentioned, a prelude celebration to really the return of Jesus Christ, which we're going to see from verse 11. And again, that's next week. So John writes that after all this, that that vision, what was explained to him, he heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. So multitude means thousands and thousands and thousands, just like innumerable. You can't number it. But all of them with a loud voice and this great sound is coming out. Now who are these? Well, I believe they're angels. I believe it's angels of heaven joining all in and, and all the angels. I mean, this is this is an incredible moment that we're coming to. And so they are crying out in verse 1, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. They cry, Hallelujah. Now that word, it's a universal word. I mean, you can say that in any language, right? You can say it in Japan, you can say it in Europe, in France, and we all understand, Hallelujah. It's praise to God. Halle actually means a praise, and then Yah means Yahweh or Lord. So it's like praise the Lord, praise to God, praise to the Lord God. So this loud roar is heard from John as all the angels shout, hallelujah, hallelujah. So John hears the hallelujahs from heaven, thus our heading here. Now, the interesting thing is that what we see here in verse 3, or verse uh, 1, excuse me, of Chapter 19 in Revelation is the first time that hallelujah is written in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? Really, we're going to see four hallelujahs, and we're going to be looking at that in detail. But these four hallelujahs in this chapter are really the only ones really in the New Testament. And the first time it's written here. Now, we have found hallelujahs back in the Psalms. That Towards the end of the Psalms, we see the hallelujah word introduced and especially from psalms 113 to 118 where the hallelujahs really are praising god for god's deliverance of his people from egypt so this is significant as we come here in revelation chapter 19 we come to these hallelujahs here first time in the new testament it's the deliverance that's coming the deliverance from evil from the power of satan from from this wickedness in this world. And so all of this, this hallelujah is coming forth, this prelude in this celebration. It's this indicator, you guys. It's an indicator that it's right there. It's right around the corner. The final end to Satan's long war with God. Remember that? We saw that back in chapter 12. The final end to to all throughout the ages, this evil and wickedness and Satan doing his work. The devil's empire is now collapsing with the Antichrist and it's ending. It's ending, right? It's going to fully end in verse 11 when we get to that. And so right now, as we begin verse 1, we stand at the edge of Christ's reign on earth. It's about to happen. Jesus is about to come. And so this is an exciting time and that's why this is the celebration of all time so 
we are going to see here from ver between verses 1 through 6, we are going to see four hallelujahs, hallelujahs here. And the first one, number one, is hallelujah for God's salvation and justice. Number one is that, hallelujah for God's salvation and justice. That's what we read. It says hallelujah in verse 1 uh, at the end, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Salvation. God has brought the salvation. God has brought salvation in Jesus Christ. And I think in even in more particular, specifically, that salvation is coming to this world and for believers that the end of evil is happening. The end of evil is coming. Wickedness. The end of Satan. And it's glory to God. It is God is doing that. And it is power, the power of God, that are bringing, verse 2, his judgments that are true and just. So we see the salvation of God, and we also see that there's justice that is going to be coming. Justice and judgment upon who? Because God is judged, verse 2, the prostitute, the, the, the great prostitute. Who is that? Babylon, right? We've been talking about her. Chapter 17 and 18, the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, drawing people away from God, uh, having them worship world religions, and then the Antichrist and not God. Draw, this prostitute drawing and enticing and seducing people away from worshiping God and worshiping money and riches. This is the prostitute who corrupted the earth with this immoral deeds and so God has brought judgment and also we read in verse 2 has avenged on her the blood of his servants on her hands is the blood of Christians the blood of those that were killed for their faith so God is finally bringing judgment justice avengement for those his people that were killed God is saving us all from evil and Satan. So number one is hallelujah for God's salvation and justice. And this judgment falls on Babylon, right? The great Babylon, the, the Antichrist political system, the, the Babylon, the religious Babylon, and also the commercial, the economic system. They all have blood on their hands. They all have seduced the world away from God. So finally, we're coming to that point. It's all going to end. Finally, I think, is fulfilled what ultimately God is going to do and what we find in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. You know this verse. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord and this is the time this is the final end when god will repay when retribution comes when justice and judgment will fall i was thinking about how in this verse i, I just showed you you know it's it's not our job right to bring the vengeance it's god's job and I can get frustrated with how things are going. I can get frustrated with the government. I can get frustrated in this whole time of the pandemic and, and certain things are being pushed forth, uh, certain mandates. I can get frustrated. I can see, yes, as there's been a lot of talk that, oh, this is just preparing the way of the Antichrist. And it could be, though I balance it out with, you know what, we've always been under some sort of government control. It, it just seems a little more because it's really infringing upon every one of our lives right now. I can get frustrated in that. I can, I can get angry, but this isn't a call yeah, to be hostile and vicious about it. But really what we're seeing today is an indicator that you know what, we're coming to the end. It's an indicator. It's a sign that, well, the tribulation is around the corner. And with that, we should be glad that that means we're going to be home in heaven, right, with Jesus. And with that indicator, you guys, we have to try and reach more for Jesus. Reach more for Jesus. Not, not be hostile against those who don't know any better because they're being pulled 
by Satan. And so I remind you again, the, the time is coming, and this is the time to reach people for Jesus, not push people away. No matter what they think, no matter what their beliefs are, we are still to reach people for Jesus Christ because this is an indicator of what's coming in the future. So just as we see this first hallelujah is an indicator that, oh, Christ is about to come. Salvation, uh, glory, power belong to God because he's coming with his judgment, with justice upon evil. He's coming. So number one is hallelujah for God's salvation and justice. Number two now is this. Hallelujah, for God's judgment is permanent. This is our second hallelujah, I should say. And it's for God's judgment is permanent. Look at verse 3 now. Verse 3 says here, Once more they cried, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Now the smoke is coming up from the city's destruction, Babylon's destruction. We saw that. In the end of the judgments in chapter 16, the seven bold judgments, there's an earthquake, there's darkness, an earthquake destroyed many cities. Yeah, It destroyed the whole system uh, and connection all to Babylon. And uh, it could be that there's a real city, I believe, uh, as I mentioned to you, it could be Rome, some say. I, I, I believe it's really in Babylon and Iraq. And I, I think that that city is going to be destroyed, this hub, the center of Antichrist worship, the center of this evil financial, economic, commercial system. It's all going down, and that's the judgment. And the smoke, and I think about smoke, I think about what Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And the brimstone that fell and destroyed that city in a moment, in an hour. And with that, the smoke rose up. Well, that's what I think about here. The smoke rose up, and just like, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what? Here it says in verse 3, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. You know what that means? That means the destruction that happened is irreversible, that it's permanent, that this is it, this is done. God destroyed it all in the bold judgments that it would never rise again. So hallelujah said for God, just God's judgment is permanent. It's it's done. It's a done deal. Isn't that great to know? That once God comes and what we're reading, that as things are collapsing, when Jesus returns, that's it for evil and wickedness in this world and the power of Satan. And so the second hallelujah is for God's judgment is permanent. John MacArthur put it this way in his commentary. The destruction of the last and most powerful empire in human history marks the end of man's day. It's all changing, you guys. It's all changing. No more the wickedness of even human beings is going to be rampant all over the earth. Know this, that the end to all this craziness we live in today is, is, is going to end. I, I, I feel like it's like even sp the darkness is spreading even more like cancer. I feel like it's even getting worse. And people uh, generally, and we've seen this in so society, but even more are drifting away from God. Before, it wasn't like that. Right? There was more knowledge. And, and yeah, there was always still that secular part of society, but it, it, it seems like it's spreading even more and more and to more people. The crime, the wickedness in that, the abuse, the evil in that, the killings, the violence, all even that, all the pain that those things cause, it's getting worse. But we have this hope. It will come to an end. And it will never be like this forever. Think about that. It'll never be a world like this forever. So, number one, the first hallelujah is for God's salvation and justice. The second hallelujah is for God's judgment is permanent. And the third hallelujah that we're going to see in verse four is hallelujah for God's sovereign will is finalized. God's sovereign will is finalized. Take a look at verse four. 
And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. There it is. There's the third hallelujah out of four that we're seeing right here in this celebration. Now here we see, first of all, the 24 elders, and then we see the four living creatures. We've come across them before, haven't we? The 24 elders, remember we learned, represent the church. The church is there. And we talked about that, the rapture and all that. So the 24 elders representing the church and the four living creatures, remember them? They're the cherubim, right? They're those powerful, high-level angels that are always right there around God, around his throne. And that's what we see. They are around his throne. They fell down and worshiped God who is seated on the throne. There's God's there, sitting on the throne. And what do they cry? They cry, Amen. What does Amen mean? We, we usually define it as, so be it, right? So Amen, so let it be. God's will be done. Let God's will be done and accomplish. So here we see in verse 4, they say, Amen. Let God's will be done, accomplished, May God's sovereign will all come to pass and be done. And that's why they say, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, for God's sovereign will is finalized. By them saying, Amen, it's finalized. By seeing God, where is He? Where do you see Him in this verse? He's on the throne, correct? God who is seated on the throne, meaning He rules. His sovereign will rules. He is sovereign over all of this. So hallelujah, for God's sovereign will is finalized. You know, I think about back in Psalm, uh, Psalm 73, you remember the writer Asaph. Now, he wrote that psalm, and in that psalm, you can read this later, but he's struggling. He's struggling because he sees the wicked prospering. And, and, and then in contrast to that, the godly people, the people of God, they're suffering. He's like, what is this, Lord? I, I, I can't reconcile this. This is hard to understand. Why does it seem the wicked go on and prosper? But then the people, the people of God, the godly people, they seem to suffer and their life ends. But then if you read the psalm, he realizes that the wicked are on a different path than the righteous, those who are righteous in faith. The wicked are in a path where they will be destroyed, that they are going to go to hell. But the righteous, even though they're suffering in the end, they will be saved and be with God. And so there, Asaph is reminded, oh, you know what, this is just temporary. Things will come to end. And God's sovereign will and his plan, he has his plan for the saints and he has his plan and end for the wicked. And so today, here in Revelation 19, verse 4, we're reminded that under the control of the sovereign, holy God, that God has his plan. God is patient, right? God is patient. He, he desires none that perish. So he doesn't bring in that judgment right away, but he's hoping that people would turn to him, that people would turn to Jesus. Aren't you glad? that his judgment didn't come before you came to Christ? Aren't you glad the tribulation and, the, and, and Christ's return didn't come before you gave your life to Christ? I am. That's God's long-suffering and his love toward us. So it's not like God is doing nothing. Yeah, It's his love in action in all of this. It's his grace and mercy. But his long-suffering will run its course. And in his sovereign will, it's going to end. Babylon will have its day. The day of the Lord will come, and they will. Babylon and evil will be vanquished. It will be judged. It will be done. And everyone who takes part of it. And it shows that God has been on the throne all this time. You may think that, well... Yeah, we talk about Christ is coming soon. And I, I remember when I first got saved learning about it. 
I remember uh, uh, in, the, in the late 70s hearing Pastor Chuck talk about the return of Christ and all the signs. I remember in the 80s. I remember the 90s teaching it. The, the 2000s in here now, right? We're in 2022. I'm still talking about it. Does that mean that all this is not true? No. It's God's long suffering. And I think by the grace of God, we've lasted this long. By the grace of God that He's calling people still to come to Him. Think about this. God is on the throne, right? Does He ever get off? No. So no matter what you see today or no matter what you think, no matter even what you're going through, think about God is on the throne. I love this verse where it says, they worship God who is seated on the throne. He's there. They didn't all of a sudden worship Him while He wasn't on the throne there. Yeah. You know, every time we, we get a picture of the throne of God, He's there. He's there. There's not one time that He is not there. If we look today, if, we were, if God were to open up the ceiling and we get a picture of the throne of God, you know what we, we would see? Would it be empty? No, God would be there. God will always be there. So you know what? We can trust God that He is sovereign in our lives also. All right, so now the first alleluia is for God's salvation and justice. The second alleluia is for God's judgment is permanent. The third alleluia is for, for God's sovereign wills finalized. And the fourth alleluia in verses 5 and 6 is hallelujah for God's omnipotent power. Take a look at verse 5. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. So this voice now comes out. Now some people say in verse 5 that this from the throne, sounds like, well, it, maybe it's God speaking here. I don't believe, I believe probably it's one of the angels, like the cherubim, because it, the voice is saying, praise our God. Yeah. So this voice is also praising and worshiping God. So I believe it's one of the cherubim who calls out and says, praise our God, all ye servants, which includes everyone in heaven, the angels, those saved. And when it says small and great, it's just saying, it's a phrase saying, oh, everybody, like a, including everybody, every person, angels and believers, everyone in heaven, all of heaven, praise our God. And then John hears what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude. There's that word, word again. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. Innumerable. And it, it came out like a roar of many waters. Like a giant waterfall or, or waves crashing. Uh, like many waters. And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. I remember one time um, the, 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 the thunder was like right by our house and you knew it because I could feel the house shake you know you ever had that moment I'm like oh it's right there above us right can you imagine what John felt the feeling of the sound that was coming out and that like peals of thunder and they're crying out hallelujah praise the Lord for the Lord our God the almighty reigns the, the word almighty means all-powerful. The old um, uh, King James says omnipotent. Yeah, The all-powerful God, the almighty God reigns. He reigns in power. This is really the, the hallelujah chorus, right? Like the Handel's Messiah of heaven. And really, if you look at the words, there's a line in that that says hallelujah, yeah, yeah, for our Lord of God, when God omit the thin rain is, and hallelujah, 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 four hallelujahs there, yeah, pretty cool. But Handel, uh, who wrote this, was looking at, uh, who wrote that song, was looking at this passage, you guys. This is the hallelujah chorus of heaven, heaven's hallelujah chorus. God 
is all powerful. Nothing can stop him. Not Satan, not the Antichrist, not world religions, not the wickedness in men. Nothing, not all the money in the world can stop our all-powerful God. Perhaps that's a word to you today. Perhaps you need to hear that. Be reminded that God is omnipotent, that he is all-powerful, and that, you know what? He loves you, and he cares for you. That power is with you, and that is God who is with you. Someone wrote this um, as if God wrote this letter, and uh, it went something like this. Good morning. This is God. I will be handling all your problems today. I will not need your help, so have a good day. (laughs) I love that. That reminds us. Yeah. And as we come to this point here in heaven, in time, in the future, you know what? God is all-powerful. For the Lord our God is almighty. He reigns in all power. So we come to this point in history at the edge of Christ's return, and no wonder the celebration of all time is going on. So this is the hallelujahs from heaven. Now we come to number two in our outline, the wedding in heaven. The wedding in heaven. This is really interesting. We come to verse 7 now. Let us look at verse 7, Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Verse 8. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And verse 9, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now we'll stop there. We're going to cover this in our section here, verses 7 through 9, the first part of verse 9. Now a call comes out. A call comes out in verse 7. The same angel, I believe, that says, praise our God. He's saying, okay, let us rejoice now. Yeah. Let us be glad. Let us exalt. Give God glory. Give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now, who's the lamb? We know Jesus Christ. Uh, capital L in the ESV uh, tells us that's deity, right? And, and we've been seeing that throughout Revelation when the Lamb is mentioned and seen. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that died for our sins and purchased our salvation. And that's what we think about when we see the Lamb uh, used in that way, that title for Jesus Christ. So the Lamb is Jesus Christ. He's the groom and he's getting married to who? His bride. Who's the bride here? This is the church. And we learned this in other New Testament passages, but the church is the, the bride of Christ. And here what we see is the wedding, the wedding in heaven, the wedding, uh, the bringing together, formal bringing together, formal ceremony of Jesus Christ and his church coming together in official, formal way of living together forever in heaven. Now, notice in verse 7, it says, His bride has made herself ready. Now, just like in any wedding ceremony that we have here on earth, the bride gets dressed up, right? Makes herself ready for this official ceremony. And that's the idea. The bride has uh, uh, gotten ready for the wedding ceremony. And it says here in verse 8, It was granted, or the word could be given her, to clothe herself with fine linen. Now, the fine linen, uh, it's going to be expanded in a moment, but the fine linen, I believe, is the garments of salvation. That is the garments of salvation, and it's bright and pure. In other words, that's, that speaks about the righteousness of Christ that the church has. So people who belong to the church have been saved. They have salvation now. They have that salvation and they're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Our position before God is that we're justified. 
So though you may not be perfect, but when you give your life to Christ and His blood covers your sins, you know what happens? His righteousness is imputed or put upon us or put upon us like clothes. We trade in our filthy rags of of sin and failed works and we put upon what Christ did, His work, and we put upon us the righteousness of Christ. That's why if anything were ever to happen to you and, and, and say you got in an accident and you were to die today, because you are clothed in righteousness, you will go to heaven. You're, you're ready for heaven with that. So the fine linen, garments of salvation, bright and pure, the righteousness of Christ, um, where we've been declared justified. And then something else now. We learn in verse uh, 8, it says, For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So the fine linen, that salvation which includes now righteous deeds. And so let me explain this for a moment. The saints, of course, is believers. So believers are what? We're saved by faith. Yeah? We have made the choice to believe in Christ and we're saved by faith. Not of works. It's a gift of God, right? Lest anyone should boast. We're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So salvation, we as believers have made that step yeah, to choose Christ and believe in what he's done for us. And then we go through what? Sanctification, right? There's a process uh, of how we become more like Christ. So as we make that choice to receive Christ, then the Holy Spirit comes and does this work of sanctification. And as we obey the Spirit in what the Word of God tells us, we change. And the Holy Spirit changes us, and fruits of the Spirit come out. So there's, there's those things happening there. And then I'd like to put in a third thing here. So we're saved, we're sanctified, and you know what? We start to serve God. I've seen many of you, naturally after you come to christ just just start to grow and then inside of all of us like we want to do something for god that's god's work in us and then we start to serve the lord in obedience and what he's called us to do so we're saved we're sanctified we serve and lastly when we go to heaven we're glorified we get our new bodies we shed the old one you know like a the tent is gone yeah and we get our new bodies which is perfect, sinless, glorified, ready to live in heaven. You can't have sin in heaven. You can't have sin around God. So that whole process of being saved, sanctified, serving God, and glorification is how the bride has made herself ready with that fine linen. So you understand when we read here in verse 7 uh, or verse 8, uh, the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. It's all of this combined. It's what the saints have have gone through. It's what the saints have done. It, 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 it's, it's all this combined. The salvation, the imputed righteousness, the sanctification of we're being more made Christ-like, of serving God, and now finally glorified. And what is that, really? It's when God completes his work. So do you understand it, right? Philippians 1, 6, right? right? God is faithful to complete his work. That's the whole work that he's doing. And as believers, we have followed that. We have believed that. And in obedience, we have done these things in following God. And that's the righteous deeds or works that the saints have gone through. So if you back up just a little more, and it says, the, his bride has made herself ready. Do you see what all this is? We're being prepared for this wedding ceremony to be officially put together with Jesus Christ. So from being saved and sanctified, serving him and glorified, that's all the preparation until we're glorified. The bride has made herself ready in that way. Ready to be with Christ forever, ready to do God's work on earth in the millennium, ready to serve the Lord in the millennium. 
1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, who's that? Jesus. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And this is the time, this is the moment when the church, the bride of Christ, and the Lamb, Jesus, this is the marriage, this is what's pictured here when we are officially put with Jesus. So here's the first thing I want you to see. All the hallelujahs now lead up to this special ceremony, the wedding in heaven. All the hallelujahs now lead up to this special ceremony, the wedding in heaven. Now, before we go on, what we see here in verse 7 through 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 8 here, and, and we'll get to verse 9 in a moment, but, you know, this is really phase 3 of, of this wedding process, this marriage process that happens. I want you to understand what we're seeing here is, is like phase 3 of the ancient Jewish weddings. Like the first phase is the engagement. Number one is the engage, engagement. Uh, in ancient Jewish times, the parents would 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 um, start with the parents making uh, agreements, right? Arranging uh, a partner, a wife, a husband for their children. And sometimes that even happened before they were even born. Yeah? To us, that's like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. But but just follow me for for a moment. Yeah, that was the way in Jesus's day, in John's time when he's writing. So just picture what they're seeing here. So it started with the parents making arrangements for their two kids to be married. And, and, and so that meant from kid times or before baby times and from baby times, there was a, a lot of years of preparation yeah, getting them ready for this wedding. Now the second phase is when time comes, there's the presentation. The presentation, many times they were even 14 years old or 14, 15 years old. That's why Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus, was, was so young too. And she was engaged or betrothed yeah, to Joseph. Well, the second phase is a presentation. Uh, ancient, in ancient weddings, the groom and his guys, his, his, his groom men, they would go to where the bride is and get the the bride and the bridesmaids and bring them back to his father's house, the location of the wedding. And so there the bride would be presented and there was sort of a little celebration with all that. And uh, many times it was about seven days. So that's interesting there. The third phase is the actual ceremony now. And this is where the vows are exchanged and, and then they're declared married. And then there's this big celebration with the meal. And, and, and then the groom can take his bride and go to his house. So what we see here in Revelation 19 is this third phase. The marriage, you know, what we read in, in, in uh, verse 9, the marriage supper, yeah? They're, it's all one ceremony, yeah? The marriage, the putting together, and then they have this meal. It's all, all the ceremony, all the celebration here. Think about it this way. The first phase when, is when we come to be saved, yeah? We're betrothed to Christ now. We're, we're part of the church, yeah? So now we're engaged to be with Christ, and, 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 and now we're making ourselves ready to be with Christ, Right? through the sanctification and our serving, yeah, and the final glorification when, we, when we're all clean and pure and presented. The second phase is, is the presentation. You know what? I believe that's when the church is raptured, brought home to heaven, presented to the Father. And there's not seven days, but seven years of that celebration. And the third phase, again, is what we see here. It's the ceremony where it's all finalized, the marriage and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then the church returns with Jesus to live with him as he rolls and reigns on the earth in the millennium as king. So you get, you see that picture? Right, we're going to see this actually next week. We'll talk about but the, the believers will actually return with Christ. And there's, um, we'll talk about that, but we actually return with him 
And then we're going to be with him as he rules and reigns on the earth. So isn't that incredible picture here? So that may help you understand what we're looking at at verse 7 and 8. I hope this clicks. I, I hope this helps you too to see how important it is that we are preparing ourselves for that wedding day. Yeah, That we are making those plans. I, I hope that, that you're doing what you can in this time of sanctification and serving. Yeah, It's part of our preparation to be that bride of Christ and this moment in Revelation chapter 19. You know, one of the things I think about is, remember how in the first communion, when Jesus changed Passover to communion, in Matthew chapter 26, you know, after they partook in the bread and the cup, Jesus said in verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's the marriage supper. All right, verse 9, it says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper is still part of that ceremony. So blessed are they. They're blessed to be there. Uh, Anyone there at the marriage supper, at the marriage uh, meal, the ceremony, they are blessed to partake in all of that. Now, there's couple ways to look at this one way and and i i I feel like i'll I'll just give you what i feel like blessed are those who blessed are those who are invited right so so you think about guests here yeah who are these guests well in my studies i believe that these are the old testament saints they're the guests at the wedding i believe that it's uh, any of saved Israel um, um, in that way. And I, also I believe any of the martyred tribulation saints that are there in heaven at this time. And so I believe they're the guests, that they're separate from the church here. Now understand, by grace we're saved, when we're there, you might think, well, why is there separation? But understand, by grace, Old Testament saints, Israel, they're still there. They're still with, with God. Matter of fact, we know in the Old Testament, they're more like the wife of God. Right? We've talked about that. And by grace, the tribulation saints are still there serving God. We read in Revelation 7, verse 15, that they serve day and night in the temple of God there. So we're blessed because we're part of the church, we're the bride of Christ, but there's still a blessing for the guest list to the Lamb's wedding. But let me say this. We're going to see later in Revelation that when the new earth and the new Jerusalem comes, the new heaven, everyone's going to join in and be the bride. We'll see that, just to kind of trip you up more. (laughs) But let's just look at it this way, and this is our point. There is blessing for all who are part of the marriage ceremony of the Lamb, and that's Jesus. There's still blessings for everybody. And that's whether you think, well, this is everyone, Israel, tribulation saints, they're still the bride, or how I'm leaning toward there's a separation. There's blessing for all who are part of the marriage ceremony of the Lamb. There's a promised blessing. And I think we have to think about that, especially if you're out there on the fringes spiritually, especially if maybe you never accepted Christ or giving your life over to him. You know, my daughter, Jenea, is getting married in April. (laughs) And it's like, oh my gosh, my little baby has grown up. She graduated college in three years. Woohoo, yeah, saved me money. She has her own place. She started her own business. And she's getting married. I'm thinking, what happened to my baby, right? But that's how things go. That's life, right? And in this special moment of, of her life, I'm not going to miss it. <laughs> I, we're not, my wife, we're not going to miss it. And especially, I, I can't because, well, I'm going to be giving her away. And I'm going to uh, be officiating a wedding, too. <laughs> I wear two hats here. But either way, I will not miss it for the world. 
But there's something else you don't want to miss. You don't want to miss the marriage of the Lamb. You don't want to miss the marriage supper of the Lamb. You don't want to miss this wedding ceremony, the wedding in heaven. You don't want to miss that. And you know what? To not miss that means you don't want to miss the rapture. Right? You don't want to miss the rapture. And you don't want to miss giving your heart to Christ and being engaged to Christ. And then when Christ comes and brings his bride for the presentation, that's the rapture. You don't want to miss the rapture. You know, the next event, we say this a lot, on God's prophetic calendar is, you know what? The rapture. The rapture. So we're right there. We're right around the corner. Maybe you're listening to my voice and you're thinking, well, you know, I'll just believe in God after. Well, you know, it's going to be super hard and you'll be tempted to not receive Christ like never before. The forces of evil are going to be way stronger, more powerful, more prevalent than ever, ever before. And even if you do give your life to Christ, it's going to be a hard, hard hard life and many will die for Jesus Christ. It's better to choose now. It's better to commit your life to Christ now and make yourself ready today. To go with the church, to go with the saints in the rapture and not be left behind, not be stuck here. So don't wait on this. Don't say, well, I'll think about it. Don't say, oh, I don't know, Pastor Rick. I, I, that means i got to give this up. Don't even think about that. <coughs> Understand what God is saying right now and calling you to. You don't want to miss the rapture, and you don't want to miss the wedding. You don't want to miss the celebration of all time. Well, come to our third heading, the declaration of heaven. We've seen the hallelujahs from heaven, the wedding in heaven, now the declaration of heaven. We'll finish up here. Starting in verse 9, the second part. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down, verse 10, at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, all this that John's been seeing and hearing, is it just seems all too incredible. It's, it's, it's too mind-blowing for him. But So the angel reassures him and said, You know what, John, in verse 9, these are the true words of God. This is what's going to happen. This is for true. This is God speaking here. This is his word. Everything we study in the book of Revelation is the truth. I know it's crazy as it seems, yeah? Hard to understand, hard to perceive, hard to see, so hard. But it's God's Word. It's the truth. It's what's going to happen. And I've done my best to try and show you what, what I think it is. What, 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 in the best of my interpreting abilities, Tried to show you what it is. It's true. It's going to happen. And so all this is overwhelming to John. Whoa, this is God's word. So he falls down in verse 10 at the feet of the angel to worship him. It's like, oh, this is God's word. You're giving me God's word. And he's like worshiping this angel who brought this vision, right? But notice the angel's going, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Get up. Get up. What are you doing? Get up. I'm a fellow servant. I serve God just like you guys. I'm, I'm a servant like all the other believers, your brothers. We all serve God. We all hold to the testimony of Jesus. That is Jesus is God. Jesus who came to this earth to die for our sins. Jesus who is the Lamb of God who rose again from the dead and ascended to the throne. That he is king. That he is the Lord God. We all hold to that testimony of who Jesus is. So don't worship me. Don't worship me because 
just because I've shown you this vision and brought you the truth. No. Worship God. Worship God. Let me say one thing. I'm not perfect. Some of you guys are saying, what? The other half is saying, I know, right? I know you. Yeah, when you get to know me, yeah. I'm not perfect. If you think I'm perfect, I'm going to fail you. I've already failed many already. God is the only one who's perfect, right? And so don't put me on a pedestal. Don't worship me. Worship God. (laughs) I may bring you the, the, the truth the best I can, the word of God, but don't worship me. It should bring you to Jesus. I hope every Bible study I give, every time you're connected, Wednesday, Sunday night, that that you don't think so much of, oh, oh, Rick, oh, yeah, I love that. that I, I hope that you would say, praise Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to me. First Thessalonians 5 says that we should esteem or respect your spiritual leaders, but not worship them. And so the angel saying the same thing. And then he says, and I think this is one of the best, awesome words in the book of Revelation. He says, for, at the end of verse 10, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony, what's recorded here, everything we, 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 we see, yeah? who Jesus is, everything we know about Jesus, right? That's what the prophecy is about. The message, the prophecy, everything in the book of Revelation is for Jesus. It's about Jesus. And this is the declaration coming from heaven. The prophecies in Revelation, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Uh, quickly turn over to First John, or John, excuse me, John, the Gospel of John, chapter five, and you look at verse 39 here. I know we're running out of time, but we'll wrap it up real quick. John chapter five, verse 39. It says, "You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness of me." The Scriptures bear witness of. Jesus. So our last point is this. All that has been said and all that has been shown in these visions point to Jesus. John Walvoord said this, this means that prophecy at its very heart is designed to unfold the beauty of lovely, of the beauty and loveliness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that. So Yes, what we're looking at, we're going to be in heaven, we're going to be there one day, there's going to be any, but it's not all about that. Yeah? It's all about being with Jesus. The hallelujahs, the wedding, the declaration, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is the point. Jesus is the one. God sent him to save you and to save us. And you know what? Jesus is the only one who can. He's the only one. That's why we call out to him, right? That's why we close our prayers and say, in Jesus' name. He's the important one. He's the one we call out to. I'll close with this. Right before they entered the grocery store, the mother stopped to tell her four-year-old and instructed him, now, we are not going to buy any chocolate chip cookies. So don't even ask. Well, the little boy did good riding in the shopping cart until they entered the cookie aisle. He turned to his mother and asked, Mommy, can I have some chocolate chip cookies, please? Well, the mother replied, I told you not to ask. You're not going to get any at all. So they continued shopping, but the mother, in searching for the last particular item, ended up back in the cookie aisle. And the little boy again pleaded with with his mom, Mommy, please, can I get chocolate chip cookies? The mother replied, I told you already, you cannot. Finally, they're in line at the checkout, and the boy decided to try one more time. He shouted in his loudest voice, In the name of Jesus, may I have some chocolate chip cookies? 
Well, everyone laughed. Uh, some even applauded. And well, when they made their way out of the store, due to the generosity of other shoppers, the little boy and his mother left with 23 boxes of chocolate chip <laughs> cookies. Jesus does make a difference in your life. <laughs> no wonder there's a celebration. No wonder the end of evil. Salvation, totally salvation. The completeness of what that means is right here. No wonder Jesus is exalted. And no wonder there, there is the celebration of all time. Let's pray. Lord, uh, Jesus, we bow to you right now. And God, we want to make everything about you. Not about us. Not about our desires or what we hope we can have in life but primarily God in our heart we want to love you we want to make it about nothing else but you Jesus so forgive us Lord we're sorry for for wandering for not making you everything but Lord we want you truly as we're brought back to this point through your word to focus on you. Your Holy Spirit has been moving. I pray for anyone who's who's wandering, who hasn't received you, who is compromising in their life, God, that they would return, that they would come and accept you. And even as we sing that, we would all cry out to you, God, and have you be the most important person in our life and that we make you everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.